This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom planning software by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education. Welcome to CBO Speaks, a podcast from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO John Walda, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is for you to gain greater insight into the challenges and rewards of the Chief Business Officer role. Find out more from today's episode at www.nakubo.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for being here. My name is Megan Strand, your host today, and I am very excited to be joined today by Sue Perkins, Vice President of Finance and Administration at Middlesex County College. Hi, Sue. Good morning, Megan. One thing I've learned after doing this podcast for a little bit is that there's not really a traditional career path for uh, to being a CBO. So can you share how you were originally introduced to the career of higher education? Certainly. I'd be happy to do that. Um, I have spent almost all of my career in um, higher education, um, but probably have been down a more traditional path in that I started out in public accounting uh, now decades ago and um, did that for about four years and um, got my CPA and MBA and really liked the clients that I had that were higher education. So from there, I moved, um, made the jump to um, a four-year university. um, And then after a couple years, um, went to a community college and was there for a number of years as the controller and then worked my way up through the ranks, if you will, um, deciding that I really wanted to expand my focus and my career on more than just the finance area. So learning things about HR and IT and health and safety and foundations and fundraising and everything that's outside of just the core accounting and finance areas that uh, traditionally you tend to start out with, if you will. And then about 15 years ago, there was a very nice opportunity to um, become the vice president of finance and administration here at Middlesex County College. And um, at the time, I think I was one of two women um, VPs in community colleges um, in New Jersey. So um, things have changed, but uh, my path has been, I think, very uh, rewarding to me in that I've been able to personally grow and expand the things that I deal with, as well as the responsibility side of things. So it's been a kind of a good balancing act, if you will. And as you were setting setting your sights on those VP roles and collecting that, that, that additional knowledge set that you needed. How did you do that? Did you talk to people? Did you research? Did you have a mentor? What sorts of things did you do to kind of broaden your skill set? Yeah, that's a really kind of good question because that's one thing when I look back on my career path uh, that I realize now um, how important it was to to talk to people, um, but to also get involved in those other areas well before they became my official responsibility. Mm. In other words, I volunteered a lot. I volunteered to be on any kind of a task force or committee that um, touched on some of the other areas that at the time when I was a controller were not my direct areas of responsibility. And it, it was really good twofold because I then was able to have some mentoring um, with some of the other folks who, say, was a director of HR at that time. Um, 
um, being on a committee, got to know them. I got to be able to ask questions. And um, through building good relationships, I learned a lot and then also felt very comfortable with um, being involved in those areas. Any other resources that you might recommend to somebody who's listening to this podcast who really has their sights set on being a CBO but is not yeah, I, you know, I think um, one that has also been uh, very, very um, fruitful for me and important has been my involvement um, with groups like Nakubo. And Nakubo has been one that I've been involved with for many years, as well as regional and statewide groups. Um, you learn a lot from not only the sessions, the formal parts of the programs, but the networking and, and getting involved with people who do things that are very much like what you do at your level, as well as exposure to people who are VPs when you're not and can fill you in on some of the potential pitfalls and, and some of the kind of things that bumps in the road that you're more than likely going to face. Um, it's very helpful to know about them before, before you're actually in the middle of it, if you will. Um, so I really think that that's one of the main reasons I have been successful is that, um, you know, having colleagues um, to to talk to. And then you you referenced mentors. Is that something that you've done formally or informally? Any recommendations there about seeking out a mentor? My experience has been not to have one mentor, if you will, but probably um, sort of a little um, team of folks um, that have helped me each with their sort of area of expertise, if you will, um, so that I could ask very sort of specific questions about um, the area or the areas that they were involved with. And it's not just technical areas, but um, I got to know, for example, um, a person who's involved politically in New Jersey um, at the state level um, in the grant area. And being able to call this person over the years and just say, hey, you know, what's your thinking about this? Or um, how do I do this so that I submit my information in a fashion that um, it will pass all of the initial internal reviews? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, having the ability to to really get to the question that you need answered um, and know who to call is kind of helpful. So it, it, more than one mentor, I think, has, has been the approach that I have used in the past. And then I want to flip that question around. You've been in higher ed for a long time. I I presume you have also served as a mentor to others. So uh, what do you look for in people who are, are, are aspiring to the CBO role? And what sorts of what sorts of advice are you giving those sorts of people? I think that one of the things that um, jumps out at me again and again, is that um, to be happy and successful in this business, you need to have a sense of humor. Mm -hmm. Um, You need to know that, you know, you need to sort of know that where you are in the scheme of what's going on in the world and what we deal with is, is important, um, but also not to take it all too seriously. And, and I think that's important. And, and I look for that in younger people in that you can't burn yourself out because mm. all of us could do, could be at our desks or be at work or be involved even remotely 24-7 and still never get everything done uh, that we all feel um, we should 
get done. Um, so that I, I think that those are kind of two really important balance type items. Um, the technical side of thing is sort of a given. Um, you know, most of us, um, one way or the other, have completed either advanced degrees or whatever certifications are important in you know our individual areas. But um, and the ability to um, not be afraid to say that you know what maybe this isn't the right thing for me or maybe I should look somewhere else. Like the flexibility to understand that not only does um, higher ed and the job that you're in change, but you as a person also change. So that, you know, kind of the willingness to just be open about what it is works for you now and understand that it may not be the right thing in five years and to have someone to talk you through um, those changes and be comfortable with them or not change you know, same thing, but to be comfortable with those decisions are some of the things that I look for when, um, you know, working with, with other people. Well, and speaking of changing and evolving, as you look back over your career as a CBO or even just in higher education, can you think of a pivotal moment that really fundamentally changed what it means to be a CBO? I, I can think of probably a couple, but, um, one was um, probably you know 15 or 20 years ago when I was a controller, and um, I was invited to a statewide meeting um, where um, it was a statewide finance committee meeting, if you will, and there were several college presidents there and um, several CFOs, and I was invited sort of as an introductory um, part of things. And, and I went to this meeting, and I had an aha moment in that I realized that, you know, this was a finance meeting, and up until that point, I was really gung-ho about um, the numbers and understanding how things flow together and the exact um, way that they would impact people strictly by the calculations, but I realized how important important it was to understand that. But to be a good CFO, you needed to go beyond just understanding the numbers. You had to be able to have other people understand them, explain them in a way that people could understand it, articulate your position so that it was understood and also in a way that would bring people in and not be divisive. Mm -hmm. I, I really understood that there's a lot more to being successful as a CFO than just dealing with you know what's in front of you and the apparent side of things in terms of what the numbers may show. Well, and I think that's a tricky skill set because you're going from a really analytical side of your brain to more of a relating, communicating side of your brain. So did that come easily and naturally for you? I'm kind of lucky. I, th I think it did. <laughs> I think it did. But, you know, for for many folks, it does not. And um, that's one of the things I, I kind of get most excited about helping people um, with developing some of those skills, because mm. I, I do see them as really important. You've said that relationships are really important to you in your role. Can you s speak to that a little bit? So when I think back, and, and even today, look at the relationships that, um, that are in play at one point in time, it's really important to, um, to develop not just traditional internal relationships, um, but as a person working in a public institution, the ability to develop and maintain relationships with my external constituents um, ha is critical and, and very important in terms of the success, not only of myself, but for my institution. Um, the internal relationships are, are more or less what most people experience every day and that, you know, you have your boss, if you will. And for me, I have the board of trustees and I have my colleagues and I have, um, 
in New Jersey um, union representatives, and you know those are those are a little more manageable in that typically you know there's there's kind of an expectation that you will touch base or see or hear from these people on a semi-regular basis, whether it's a monthly board meeting or um, a once a semester meeting with the union leaders or your staff meetings. Mm-hmm. So those I think are a little easier to to sort of plan for have an agenda the relationships that i have found to be trickier but just as important have been the relationships um with um the external folks um mainly i'm talking about the politicians Mm. um you know in, in a public institution um at some level the politics are absolutely uh something that you have to deal with um you know many times um it's it's let people at the state level and in new jersey being a county college we also have um our counties provide us direct funding. So there's, you know, different types of negotiations involved with uh, both state level and county level um, officials, um, as well as the people who administer the funds, the inside people. So you really have to know, you have to kind of know your audience, if you will. You have to know what it is, sort of what a county administrator is looking for from you or the state treasurer's office um, and be able to answer their questions. You have to anticipate to an extent what their needs are. Um, and that's not always easy. And sometimes you sort of can grumble under your breath because you're, you know, I know I, I get the call many times asking for the same bond information from my county um, because they can't find, you know, some of the things that were issues and the bond attorneys call me. But, you know, I kind of look at it. I try to take it as being um, more of a compliment. Um, the fact that they know they can trust me to mm-hmm. give them the correct answer and in a timely fashion. Anything else you would recommend? I mean, it sounds like, you know, with those political relationships, that can be tricky to navigate. Anything else you feel like you've done over the years to really solidify those relationships and establish that trust that maybe, you know, not out of the norm a little bit, I guess? You know, I, I would say that there there is maybe one or two things, um, particularly with um, the state level politicians in New Jersey. Um, there are many events that get hosted on our campus, as well as um, around town, and and even you know I've done this even in train stations. I really do make a point of. Um, trying to make a personal connection and an introduction, not just of myself, but, you know, of um, my college. And, um, you know, also put forth in the same introductory two minutes um, and understand, having a statement that, that says that, you know, we at this college understand that um, there are many competing interests for, for dollars, Um but then go on to to kind of do a one minute sales job, if you will, that why um, our college um, should be a place where some of that money that has to be spread all over many competing interests uh, should be directed because of the service level that we provide to the community. Believe it or not, we, we've heard here, and, and this is something that all of us now do at this institution, it's been um, 
been very helpful and been pretty successful. We even put together a little sort of a fact sheet that's, uh, you know, what the college does, almost for dummies type thing with, mm. you know, the top 10 things. And so you can hand it to people. So they know your story, like in a very quick and concise and accurate way. So it's keeping top of mind with those political officials and just being friendly and reminding them who you are and why what you do is so important. If I can tell you a little story, um, Please. And it, it won't. There, um, this is a uh, deceased um, senator now from New Jersey, um, and I was actually in D.C. Um, at the train station and uh, waiting to, I think, return from an, an Akubo event. And um, I saw this senator coming towards me with um, his aide, and he had been at our campus, I don't know, maybe six months before for um, um, a, a building event, if you will. And it was really interesting because I went up to him and said, hello, Senator, you know, you probably don't remember me. I'm from the college without even saying my name. He stopped and he looked at me and said, oh, I absolutely remember Middlesex County College. You know, not only were we there for the building, but you folks, you know, hosted us on a tour around the campus and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and it was probably to me one of the most satisfying moments in that you know sort of was a validation of all the things that I you know kind of speak about and try to do over the last uh, many years so it worked um, it worked it worked at least for that moment <laughs> that's <laughs> so. fantastic so what are you doing now in your role that you never would have imagined you'd be doing 10 years ago I am uh, dealing um, so much um, with um, student safety um, mm. and dealing with um, student um, problems that are not technically, you know, classroom problems, you know, emotional problems, um, you know, the, as things have opened up in terms of people talking about areas, they mental health areas, they were not quite so comfortable with, uh, particularly at our institution, we've really tried to change our approach um, and, and be more open um, and provide more assistance. And it's been tricky um, in that it's not an area that many of us, at least initially, were very comfortable in terms of dealing with how to make things better because we're not that well-versed or that knowledgeable about helping people in those areas. But um, that has, I've learned a lot. We've gotten some really good outside people in to give us advice, but that's, uh, that's a very, very different thing, I think, than, than it, it, particularly at my institution than, than we dealt with in the past. Mm. And does that feed back into funding and budget yeah. line items and Sure. And I was just going to add on to that. You know, the, the other thing that um, we spend, you know, a lot more time now talking about, like, what it is we spend our money on, which is a good thing, you know, trying to tie, you know, what it is we're spending our money with our priorities, you know, within our strategic plan to actually doing it. Ten years ago, we were, you know, sort of around the edges. But um, so, yes, I mean, if it's important to the institution, then, you know, more than likely it's going to be important for us to figure out ways to fund the initiative. Mm. Um, so that's absolutely been part of the conversation. And what would you say as you're speaking to other CBOs around the country, what would you say is the biggest challenge that faces all of you? Well, I think we have many challenges. One of the biggest, though, is, um, you know, making sure that higher education is relevant in the future. Um, you know, we you know, all like to talk about um, our successes and, you know, some of the metrics for graduation. Um, but there's a feeling, I think, 
particularly wrong among many politicians that, you know, it costs too much for the value of what's being provided. And people are starting to really ask a lot of questions about, you know, what is the value of um, a two-year degree? Or should we meld things into a four-year degree? Like, there, are, I think there's going to be some changes within the industry. And I think that it would be nice to have more involvement by some of the CFOs in terms of being parts of these conversations, because I think that higher education is going to look very different 10 years from now, but I just hope that it looks different in a positive way. Mm -hmm. And who do you turn to with that challenge in mind? Who do you turn to for sources of inspiration or innovation or pockets of things that are happening that are that are interesting around the country, or even just to stay up to date on on what's happening? Yeah, so I, you know, again, this sounds like a plug for Nakubo, but it's really not. I mean, I I really do um, keep up with the Nakubo um, website. Um, I also um, try to stay current with you know tax initiatives and um, I, being a CPA. The um, I'm a member of a daily AI. CPA newsfeed. Mm. Um, I, I actually try to keep up with some of the economic uh, information. I've signed up for a couple of those. I have found that the, um, the kind of the daily summaries that you can get have, have been really helpful because then I can at least know um, about an issue and then dig into it deeper, either through that source or for other sources. Um, you know, as well as some of the more traditional things that are in the Chronicle. But um, I have to say that I think technology and I like technology has really provided me with a way to to get more information about more different areas of expertise than 10 years ago, for sure. So anything else you'd like to share today that I've neglected to ask? I think I would just like to share that I think the future can be very exciting for young folks who want to work um, in higher education um, in the finance or, you know, CBO or even other related areas or become a CFO. I think the opportunity to affect change is much greater now than it was 10 years ago. And as the rest of society changes very quickly, um, I'm very hopeful that higher education will learn to change more quickly than than many of us do currently. And, and I think as a result, the, I think the opportunity it, it is really exciting. And um, and I think that there will be a lot of opportunity. There, are, um, It's expected that more than 50% of us in CFO roles are going to retire within the five next five to eight years, I believe. So um, I, I'm hoping that there are folks that are really interested. And um, as some of us, before we, re- we do retire over the next several years, we can share some of our expertise um, but also share some of the excitement. Um, I really believe in what I do, and uh, I, I think I've had a wonderful career, and I'm very thankful. That's a fantastic final thought. Thank you so much. And thank you for your time today and sharing just a little bit of your career with us. It's been fantastic to hear all of this. Well, thank you, Megan. I, I enjoyed it, and I appreciated the opportunity. You can find out more about Sue and today's episode by visiting the distance learning section of nakubo.org. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks in iTunes so that you'll get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Sue and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks. This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom planning software by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education.